wherever the church has strayed from the authority of Scripture, you can physically see the supernatural hand of God being removed from the church that becomes irrelevant. It's just historical. Right? And so when we talk about in Acts chapter 2 that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, what is that? Does that mean they were a really strong teaching church and they had the best, you know, teachers from around the world come in and teach them? No, no. The apostles were teaching the Old Testament text. They were testifying, because the New Testament hadn't been written yet, they were testifying of Jesus, how they'd seen Jesus and done ministry with him, and they were laying a theological foundation for what would be the New Testament. So in a sense, you could say when they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, they were devoted to Scripture. Because that was the mark of the early church. They were devoted to Scripture. They were devoted. They were wholeheartedly focused and consistent and committed to God's Word. Not only knowing it theologically, but letting it transform their lives. Now, as I begin, I just want to pause and acknowledge that the role of Scripture and Scripture itself has been hotly debated. What about the seemingly contradictions in Scripture? How can we really know with all these different cultures and these writers from different, these are just cultural interpretations of God that happen to kind of go together, right? Or these, these are stories, or man, terrible things and abuse has been done in the name of the Bible, which is sadly true. What, is, what does that mean? In the midst of that question, Jesus speaks right to the heart of the issue. In the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, and I want to I go there, Matthew chapter 5, 17 to 20, I'm going to make three quick points from that, and then we're going to do something interactive. It'll be fun. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 to 20. Jesus said this, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it is all accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes or to loosen, would be another translation of that Greek word, to loosen one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Whatever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And so, the, the context, which I'm going to share about this, is, is important to us. We'll get there in a second. But, but if we want Scripture to be life-changing, and honestly, if we want church and our, and our life groups to be life-changing, three points I want to take away from this text here of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount about how we engage with Scripture. And number one, Jesus affirms the authority of Scripture in our life and to the church. Jesus affirms the authority of Scripture. He said, People of this time, because Jesus' teachings were pretty subversive of the powers that be. They were pretty kind of flipping people's worldview on their heads. So people of that time often thought that Jesus had come to do away with the law or the scripture that had been in place. 
But Jesus corrects their, their understanding. He said, no, 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 I actually didn't come to abolish the word, actually not even a dot or iota of it, but I actually came to fulfill it. Jesus affirms the scriptures, the Old Testament, the Torah, or the prophets, the law. He's affirming the role of scripture up until that point. Now, there's a couple things on this, the authority of scripture that are important that we understand if we're going to put our faith in the authority of Scripture. And that is first, how do I know that the Bible has, is reliable? It's been, you know, in, in some cases, thousands of years from some of the texts. Uh, it has been, you know, there's a lot of different writers of the Bible. How do we know the Bible's reliable? And other than the Bible being God-breathed, just a few ways we can, we can know, we can trust Scripture. Number one, it's been the most sold and influential book in all of history. Year after year, in fact, they took it off the bestseller list because year after year, it's always been the most sold book in history. It's literally shaped governments. It's shaped families. It's shaped people's worldview. It has changed the world and continues to be the most influential book. Secondly, it's historically accurate. It's proven by history. Although the Bible is not intended to be a history book and does not read like a history book, it is historically accurate. Number three, uh, the, the, there are prophecies that have been supernaturally fulfilled that we see in Scripture. There are over a thousand prophecies in the Bible, all of which have come to, true. We see over 300 distinct prophecies about Jesus throughout the Old Testament. Again, this is hundreds of years before Jesus came. Specific prophecies about where he'd be born, that he would die on a cross. Many things, you know, that, that are very specific. Jesus fulfilled every single one of them. One scientist uh, did the math on this, and he said that just eight of these prophecies being fulfilled in the life of Jesus, the chances of that mathematically would be one, it would be 10 to the 17th power. Just eight of the prophecies of Jesus being fulfilled is almost mathematically impossible. Jesus' life fulfilled over 300 of them, all of them. It is scientifically a miracle uh, that we see in scripture, we know this is God breathed because Jesus fulfilled his, his, his prophecies. Also, the Bible is the most reliable and well-preserved book. Science backs this up in textual criticism and general, uh, general science. There um, is, is, is not only we know that through the thorough process of the copying of scriptures that they had, but also the amount of copies of scripture they have are, are to be more than any other well-known book. And on top of that, the finding of the Dead Sea Dead Sea Scrolls confirms that. So can we be confident that what we're reading is God's word? I want to say yes, historically. Yes, mathematically. Yes, scientifically. Yes, according to its influence in history. Yes, according to its influence as today. And yes, according to the countless testimonies in this room that God has spoken through this book and changed your life. We can know that this is God's word speaking to us. Now, secondly, when we talk about the authority of Scripture, how we approach the Bible and its authority in our life matters. There are 
two kind of main ditches, especially in these cultural wars that we live in, right? There are two main ditches when it comes to Scripture, which are actually the same as these two crowds I think Jesus was, was kind of speaking to throughout the Sermon on the Mount, uh, throughout this, this message. And uh, those, those kind of two ditches when it comes to our understanding of Scripture or, or kind of false or, or poor approaches to the authority of Scripture is one ditch is that the loosening of scriptures, the relaxing or, or um, maybe changing or kind of shutting out different parts of scripture. The other one, the other ditch would be the stringous, uh, sorry, stringent, religiously uh, kind of hyper-legalistic approach to scripture. And so I want to speak to these two different groups of people who had religious power of the day that I think Jesus is often speaking to throughout the Gospels and their parallels to the ditches we have today. The first group would be the Sadducees. The Sadducees, the, the, the sin or fault of the Sadducees was often the, the, um, the loosening of Scripture. They were a smaller group of upper-class power holders in that day. They lived in the more cosmopolitan urban center of Jerusalem. They were well-educated elites who controlled parts and many parts of religious life of the day. But they were often laissez-faire or a little too loose on their understanding of scripture. They only first believed the first five books of the Torah. They rejected the supernatural. They did not believe in an afterlife. They did not believe in angels or demons. They rejected the supernatural altogether. And they were often willing to accommodate different parts of scripture to be influenced by the Greco-Roman influence of the idea of the good life of the day. And so there's some parallels to today. Right? Many would say that this is a human document. Right? Which is true. It is written by humans, but we do believe that it was the very voice and breath of God breathing it. They'd say it's from different culture or that Constantine's influence on the Bible or, or there's just some strange stuff in there. So we kind of just put some of those parts in the closet and we don't talk about those. Right? This view of scripture often accepts it as an important human document, but rejects it as scripture. And even many churches out there today would accept this as their approach to scripture. That is a very important document that we refer to, but it fails to be, it fails to be scripture. And what's often behind this view of scripture is that God is not really the authority of my life. What I think and feel about things, including my understanding of the scripture, what I like and don't like about this book, that's the authority that guides my life. What I think, what I feel, what I interpret as good and bad, what I interpret as righteous and evil becomes the authority, right? And isn't that kind of what we hear in culture today? That man, it's your truth, it's what you feel if it works for you, right? And that's often our interpretation of Scripture and some of the church's interpretation of Scripture. That God is, is good and we love him, but and some of that's archaic and we don't, uh, I don't know about that. So we'll fit God to fit in our image of 2022 and it will be right. And Jesus said to this group, the Sadducees, in Matthew 22:29, 29, he said, you're wrong. 
Because, you know, neither the scriptures or the power of God. Man, I know a number of dear people who were walking with God in a high view of scripture and then went this route. And I've heard countless, like numerous people say, I miss Jesus. After they've gone this route, I miss Jesus. And I miss seeing the work of God in my life. And that's what Jesus is saying. If you want to throw away parts of Scripture, you're going to throw away the work and the power of God and intimacy with God. But the other ditch would be the Pharisees, the self-righteous legalism, an often abuse of Scripture. The Pharisees were the, the, the teachers of the law. They often were kind of more from a, a rural, small-town, kind of blue-collar upbringing. They're zealous. They're committed to the Scriptures. Their kids memorize most of Scripture by fifth grade. They spend hours a day often studying, especially on the Sabbath. But over time, they added to the Scriptures what Jesus often called human traditions, just to make sure that no one, all the, all the people below them, kept the law and didn't, we'll just add to the law. We'll add to the word. We'll add rules to it. We'll add regulations to it. And Jesus spoke very clearly to this crowd because we could, they could, Jesus could see that they loved the word in here, but it was not transforming their lives. They were hypocrites. And parts of the church we can lend to this way today. Places where we love scripture more than we love God and people. You know, it's the worship of the Father, Son, and the Holy Bible, right? And what happens is we love information more than transformation of our own soul. We love the word because it makes us feel knowledgeable and good, but we don't let it be a mirror into our own soul to convict us of our own sins so that we can be set free from it. And what often goes hand in hand with self-righteousness and, and uh, a lack of awareness of our own sin is the using of scripture to control other people's lives or even cause abuse. And we see that throughout church history, sadly. We see holy wars have been waged in the name of Jesus. In addition to that, we see spiritual abuse and scriptural abuse in churches, and we even see it in marriages where a husband will tell their wife to obey them because the Bible says to submit. And I wanna say that that is not God's heart. That breaks the heart of God. And I think why Jesus said to this crowd, you whitewashed tombs. You're using the scripture to control other people, but you yourself are not being changed by it or living it up to it. Jesus also said to them, he said, you search the scriptures diligent because you think that in the scriptures you have eternal life. He said, it's they that bear witness about me, but yet you refuse to come to me. They're coming to the scriptures. They love being religious people, but they didn't want Jesus. They didn't want God. They wanted religion. They wanted rules. They wanted control. They wanted power more than they wanted God. Both of these sides failed to let God speak freely through scripture and let scripture be the authority, the guiding authority of God's voice over their lives. Both of them failed to do it. You see, and for us, we, we, we can easily go into one of these two ditches. I'm guilty of, of wanting to go in both ditches consistently and even stepping into both ditches consistently. But we can't separate 
Jesus being Lord and letting the word be our authority. Right? If, if we say Jesus is Lord, we need to come under the authority of Scripture. We need to let Scripture tell us what to think about things in our lives. And that has some implications, right? How do we navigate? It, it implies how we navigate cultural issues around us. Who's the authority? Is it, is it Fox News? Is it CNN? Is it culture? Is it preserving culture? Right? No, when we watch the news, we need to say, uh, what does this say? What does scripture say? And how do I interpret that? Right? To, to mask or not to mask? To be justice people? Or is that too woke? Right? Or sexuality, right? What I think doesn't matter that much compared to what this says. As we, as some navigate deconstruction because there has been some real abuses in the church and some things where, where, where people were taught wrongly, right? We need to not let our legitimate pain lead us like Satan said, did God really say, but rather to what Jesus said. He said, yeah, you heard it wrongly said, but I say to you, We need our pain in our deconstruction to lead us to the word, not away from it. And science and world history will back you up in going to scripture. It's not archaic or outdated. Because this book has outlasted cultures. This book has outlasted kings and rulers and fads and ways of seeing the world, and it will continue to. This book will outlast America. And so for our church, we're gonna continue to go to this book when we interpret the world around us. And that may not please everyone, and that may not, we're not gonna be a jerk about it, <laughs> but we're gonna continue to go to this book and our life groups are gonna open up this book consistently. And we're gonna let it pierce into our souls and be the authority over our lives and how we understand the world around us. And so that brings me to a question, who or what is the authority in your life? And how you interpret culture, how you spend your money, how you see God. My phone's ring. You can turn it off. <laughs> Who or what is your authority? Now, a couple last points. These are going to be quicker points, and then we're going to do something interactive. One of the reasons Jesus is so strong to affirm the authority of Scripture is because he knows that when we hold this highly, it will change our lives. It'll transform our lives. So second thing we see Jesus doing, Jesus affirms the power of the word. He says this, I believe in verse, um, uh, where am I here? Lost my way. All right, he says this. Um, he said, whoever does the word and teaches a word will be called great in the kingdom of God. You want to be great? You want to be great in God's eyes? You want to be great in the spirit? You want to be a spiritual powerhouse? Do you want to come at the end of your life and though the world didn't know you, Jesus will say, yeah, I knew them, and the devil will say, yeah, I knew them, and I was afraid of them? Teach the word and do the word, right? Be people of the word. Because you see, 
this is powerful. Do you know there's a whole bunch of countries that don't allow this book in it? I've gotten arrested for giving this book to someone. And not in America. Uh, <laughs> because people are afraid of the teachings of Jesus because it will change your life. What does scripture say about itself? What does it do? It enables us to encounter God. Second Peter 1.4 says this, and because of his glory and excellence, he's given us these great and precious promises. These are promises that enable you to share in his divine nature and escape the world's corruption. I want to participate in his divine nature. I want to encounter the power of God. I want to live in eternity and follow the way and the sovereignty of God in my life and his purpose. How do I do that being in here? That's exciting. You're one open of the Bible away from living in, in, in the divine life that God has for you. Secondly, equips us for life. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for approved correction and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You want to be complete? You want to be equipped? This book's going to do it. It sets us free. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing between our soul and our spirit or our flesh and our selfish desires and the desires God has for us. Joints and marrows and discerning the thoughts and tensions of our heart. Ow. Ouch. That hurts, but you know why? It's going to set you free. Right? Psalm 119, verse 11, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Matthew chapter 7, it empowers us to withstand storms. I won't read it all for time's sake, but the Bible said, it, it, Jesus said that if we're people that uh, when storms come, but we don't apply the word to our life, our house, will, the, the house of our life will get knocked over. But if we're building our lives on the word of God, when storms come, we will stand firm. The Bible gives you the ability to stand firm no matter what life throws at you because it shows you who God is and gives you thousands of promises for what God wants to do. It guides us, Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Come on, anyone want any of these promises? Anyone want any of these promises? Y'all, you come on, y'all want it? Come on, we're coming to church hungry. It's filled with promises in here for you. It's filled with power for your life. If you're coming in afraid, overwhelmed, insecure, anxious, I've got good news for you and it's in here. God wants to speak to you today. This is not irrelevant to what you have going on in your life. This is the best thing you can do. Open this up and let God speak to you, a, a divine word for your circumstance today. This will change your life, you see. But the problem is there's a lot of us who never access the power of Scripture. Because honestly, oftentimes we're too familiar with it. Just to illustrate this, there's a guy a number of years ago named Lauren Kreitzer. And uh, he was a carpenter. Um, he was doing well, but he had a pretty bad car accident, and he was denied disability. So he was disabled. He couldn't get money on disability, and he found himself losing his leg. He had to send his kids off to other people to care for. He found himself living on $200 a month by himself, depressed, eating ramen for most meals, having, uh, drinking himself to sleep, having phantom pegs in his leg. And one night, he's watching the Antique Roadshow. 
Any antiques roadshow fans out there? So he's watching this, and he sees someone selling an, uh, uh, um, a Navajo blanket <clears throat> for $500,000. He said, huh, that's weird. It looks like my grandma's blanket. So he, he decides, I'll take this blanket that I've been just been collecting dust over here in the corner. I'll take that. Well, he takes it over, and within 75 seconds, he's a 1.5 millionaire. This blanket that had been collecting dust in the corner that he'd been doing nothing with immediately changed his life and, and changed him into a totally different person in a totally different life. Isn't that what we do with scripture though? I mean, how many Bibles do most of us have? We often fail to access the life-changing promises and power of God in this because we're so overwhelmed with the pains and the problems in our life that we fail to open up the very words that will set us free from them. And so, guys, it's, it's actually really simple. You know, um, it's just opening up a little bit every day, right? How does that look? Just a little bit every day, right? You don't eat a week's worth in one sitting, do you? I mean, we can talk and pray for you if you do. Uh, I'm not talking about uh, the Bible. I'm talking about food now. If you eat a week's worth of food for the week and then don't open it up, you know, don't, don't open your mouth for some food the rest of the week, then there might be numerous problems with you, including your digestive system. <laughs> same way with the Word of God. You eat a little bit every day, same way with the Word of God. We want to eat some every day. It's that consistency a little bit over time. Doesn't mean perfection. Doesn't mean you're not going to miss a day. A little bit over time is going to help you. You don't need to make it complex. I'm not gonna give you the 20 points on how to read the Bible. Just open it up and read it because just doing something with it is better than knowing all the tools you should be doing with it but doing nothing. So just open it up, learn about Jesus and then do some things that it says in there, right? And you might even Google, I'm anxious, Bible verse, you know? Let that be your reading for the day, right? I'm overwhelmed. Google is your friend. It can help you out, right? And so a little bit every day, and then just memorize a scripture a week. And you can even memorize the verse that speaks to whatever's going on in your life, right? Be anxious for nothing, right? Oh, it'll give me a peace that surpasses understanding. You better believe I was, I was standing in that promise this week. That was my fighting verse this week for what I had going on in life. Do you have a fighting verse this week? I don't know what you have going on. What are you fighting with this week? Are you fighting with your own understanding, trying to control the future, trying to use your personality type to control others, to control your situation? Or are you fighting with the word of God, right? Come on, y'all get me preaching today. And so when we open this up in community, we're, we're a Bible community. I'm not saying we're Antioch Bible Church. What I'm saying is that we open the Bible in community. And that when we do this in community, all of a sudden there's a feast when we come to life group. And there's a feast in our friendships in church because we're giving each other life-changing scriptures in a timely way. I was thinking about you and the scripture came to my mind. Let me encourage you, boom, you know? I know you're going through it. Let me encourage you with this. Boom, you know, let me build you up. All of a sudden, our life groups become this, this harvest of spiritual food. 
Okay, last point. Jesus calls us to be doers of the word, not just hearers. He said, whoever not only teaches them, but does them will be great in the kingdom of God. James says it like this in the New Testament. He says, be not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. I think oftentimes in the body of Christ, our head is bigger than our heart, right? I used the analogy last week, but it's like the guy that lifts weights on the top, but doesn't lift weights with his legs, right? His biceps are bigger than his thighs, right? So, um, so we want to be doers of the word. Um, I love uh, Francis Chan. He uses analogy. In fact, I think we have some crazy love people in the house with Francis Church. Any people? I think there's a few of you. Hey, down from the Bay Area. Glad to have you guys here. Um, but I heard him use this analogy a while ago. It's like a parent with kids trying to, you know, hey, could you take out the trash? And the parent's not asking the kid to say, hey, could you, could you go into the Greek and the Hebrew on the trash? And, and studying the Greek and Hebrew is great. You know, there's totally a place for it. But the parent's not saying, hey, could you, like, write up a summary of, like, all the different ways to interpret the taking out of the trash, and the kid coming back is like, this is great. I mean, I've been thinking about you saying take out the trash. I've been looking at all the different angles and philosophies on this. I've actually gathered a group of people to study taking out the trash. And in fact, right, Francis goes on, he's like, I was actually thinking of a whole, like, making a plan of how we're going to teach everyone to take out the trash, right? And the parent's like, I just asked you to take out the trash, Right, like this is simple, right? And it's often how we approach the word. Again, study it, go in depth, it's great, but we wanna be doers of the word, not just hearers. You can have a diet plan in your head. <laughs> it ain't gonna change your body <laughs> if it's not being put with feet to it, right? You can have a nice idea of going to bed earlier and getting better sleep, but if you stay up late every night because you're not doing your nice idea, it's not gonna change your life. Same with the word. We need to apply the word to our lives to let it change our lives, okay? So, like, again, keep it simple. Like I said, read a little bit every day. And what if you did one thing out of your little bit of reading every day? Like, like what if this church, just this week, said, I'm gonna do one thing, that scripture says this week, what if we all radically forgave our enemies and blessed them? You know what I'm saying? <clears throat> we're all feeling that because we're like, oh, that's uncomfortable, and we all believe that, and we all know that, but like people's lives will get changed. I bet some people will get saved this week. If like all of us did that, someone would get saved, I bet. Someone, <laughs> right? Someone might get healed emotionally this week if we do that. It's like, what if this week we just did that? Right? just living out a little bit of what we know of the lot that many of us know will change our life. What if we just sought first God's kingdom, right? Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow, just seek first God's kingdom. What if we gave Jesus 15, 20 minutes of every day this week and then he messed up a day or two and it was five or six? That could change your week. That could change your perspective. Doing a few basics of what we already know will change your life. Okay, here's what I wanna do. Um, uh, and, and by the way, I mean, that's when we talk life group, we can preach great sermons here, but life group and just friendships is a place we want to put feet to what we know. 
It's where we work it out together, right? So if you ever tried to like eat better, doing it with some other people is a whole lot easier, right? Can I get an amen? That's what life group is. You're like, man, I was convicted by this sermon. I was reading the Bible this morning and man, I don't know how to do this. Take it to the group of people you're walking with and say, hey, help me out because I'm struggling here, right? Help. How does this look in your life? Okay, you have kids and I'm just having kids. How do you spend time with Jesus? How do I live this out with kids? How do I live this out when I'm single? How do I live this out, right? Do it in community. Okay, so we're actually gonna do something interactive here. Uh, we're gonna actually open the Bible and talk about it with some people around you because this is church, right? Now, I know we don't do that often here uh, in, the, in the we like to come and get a good word and have a good lunch. But we're gonna open the Bible and talk to some people around us. So here's, there's a lot of ways to study the Bible, but if you wanna just put on the screen, we're gonna go to Psalm 1, open up your Bibles. Psalm chapter 1. Verses one through three, it's a scripture about scripture. <laughs> so one of the Bible study tools is called the SOAP method. What is it, you know, what does scripture say? And then what the O is, what am I observing? The A is the application. How do I apply it this week? And then praying. I added an S because we don't just want you soaping. We want a lot of people soaping Jesus, right? So we... I think more than just you needs a word, I bet there's someone in your life that needs the encouragement you're about to read. So we put an S on the end here today. Who are you gonna share this life-changing truth with in your life, right? So you may not get through it all in the time allotted, but turn to two or three people around you, and we're gonna take some time and do this. Sound good?